Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, welcome in. It's the Arrowhead Attic Podcast back from the 4th of July holiday. I'm Patrick Allen. I'm here with Adam Best. I forgot to move my microphone in front of my face, so I'm doing that now. Adam, what's going on, man? How are you? Not much. Just went to uh, Missouri for a few days, and I now I'm back. I heard. I heard that you failed to bring the championship belt from our fantasy league that you were due to turn over to your brother. Yeah, along I'm with gonna, I'm going to send it to him. I, I'm a defiant person. I'm competitive. I'm not. I kneel before no man. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like it, it? There should be a limit. Like you have to deliver the belt to the to the new league champion, like before the next draft. Like is that is that fair? Yeah, that's the what the entire league agrees upon. Otherwise, he just has to have it by opening day. I don't know, man. I feel like when you win that, you know, you want to raise the Lombardi, right? When you win the league, you want it. You sh- you shouldn't have to wait. Also. Months. I bought the belt, so there's <laughs> there's that part. Yeah, he's uh, he's, he's going to argue with you on that one. I got a question for you, though. Sure. Just kind of joking around on Twitter today, I asked, would you rather bring back, and they're all free agents right now, Kareem Hunt, Justin Houston, or Marcus Peters? Oh, man. I saw that, and I saw – I think I saw what you, what your answer would be. I I would bring back Kareem Hunt. Like I, he's, he's, he's 28 years old. He can still catch the football. He was sensational in Andy Reid's offense. And right now you've got Jarek McKinnon, who's great. I love Jarek McKinnon, but I think at this stage, given his age, I think Kareem Hunt has more left in the tank and having another pass catcher on a team that kind of has pass catcher up in the air uh, a little bit. I think would benefit the chiefs. I'm more concerned about that than I am about the cornerback situation. Justin Houston, love him. I don't think the chiefs need him. I think they need another veteran edge. And I think they could use another veteran corner because if I, I think we're way too comfortable with Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams, great rookie year, but we know that position is a roller coaster. And Trent McDuffie is also going to be a sophomore. Uh, Legereus Sneed could be gone. I think having another veteran presence there, especially a long ball hawk corner who would play well in Spag's kind of quarters press man system. I think he uh, he'd be another body back there. I just I don't think Justin Houston's going to come back because that relationship was fractured. In terms of Kareem Hunt. Uh, that uh, position is never going to be very high in my pecking order. Uh, and Jarek McKinnon was one of the most efficient receiving backs in the entire league last year. He led by some metrics, had something like nine touchdowns. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, also, 
I believe in second chances, but the kind of thing that uh, Kareem Hunt did, and I know some fans will probably roll their eyes, but uh, it's just not a good look to bring him back. It's not. It's it's not a great look, although, and I'm not sure. I, I, I don't recall there being anything like that in his past. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong on that, and I don't recall anything happening since. So I'm hoping that it was one bad night for Kareem Hunt, and that's not truly the kind of person he is. Um, but I, me, I totally me too. Do. Yeah. But now I do think where I lean and one of the reasons I lean towards the running back in that situation is because of the attrition that happens at that particular position. You very easily could find yourself in week five and have Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon both injured. So then what are you going to do? Right. Obviously, you've still got Clyde Edwards Alaire on the team, who I think would, would be able to step in just fine. And I think he still will be in the mix this year and will be getting carries unless he gets traded before the season starts, which is a possibility if somebody needs a running back. But there's a lot of, of injuries that happen in that position. So uh, it's an interesting exercise. Let us know in the yeah. chat what you Yeah, my, my counter to that would be it is probably the most plug-and-play position in the league. So if there is a position in week seven where you need to go out and sign a veteran, and Latavius Murray, he's still working for a reason, right? That's yeah. uh, – you can pass protect, you know, you're going to be working for a long time. So, and also Prince, Prince is uh, a promising addition to the roster. Yeah. And it's, and Andy Reed's offense as well has shown that you don't have to be Barry Sanders to have success as a running back in Andy Reed's West coast system. So I think that's a fair point as well. Shout out to all of our listeners out here. You're listening to the Arrowhead Act podcast with Patrick Allen and Adam Best. Lots to talk about today. We got a really interesting show lined up for you. We got a DeAndre Hopkins update because it wouldn't be another week in the summer without some DeAndre Hopkins talk. But we won't spend a lot of time on that. Uh, and then we, we we're going to have to talk about the Eagles because they just won't stop whining and crying about the Super Bowl. And I'm I'm really interested to know what you think about that, Adam, and what you think their prospects are this year, given maybe sort of the headspace of some of these guys. Although one of them is no longer on the team. And then we've got some bold predictions. For the season, and we'll wrap things up with Patty's power rankings. We're going to rank our favorite Chiefs running backs, which should be a fun exercise as well. So start thinking about your top three, not not necessarily talent wise, but just your favorites, your favorite guys. Um, so shout out to all of our members. We know there's a lot of you out there watching. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button. Let's get as many Chiefs fans in here as possible live for the live show. And of course, shout out to all of you audio listeners as well who will hear this after the fact adam do you have a nice uh do you have a nice fourth of july man oh yeah gotta see my niece and nephews uh tons of fireworks i mean missouri i would argue that missouri is the fireworks capital of the nation so had a good time lots of great food no complaints here and fourth of july means one thing to me other than family train camps right around the corner that's right. It is, man. We're like three weeks away from, from training camp. I had a weird 4th of July. We had some 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 family health issues, unfortunately. Everybody's okay. Oh, no. um, but I spent some time at the hospital over the weekend, which you never want to. It wasn't me. I'm fine. But uh, so it was just kind of a weird, just, you know, things happen. Things pop up. You deal with them. So um, your brother, by the way, is in the chat and said at some point during the show, I need to harass you about not bringing your championship belt. So we know he was not here from the start of the podcast. Check. I, yeah, I opened the podcast giving you shit about that. Um, all right, let's get into some Chiefs talk here. 
as, as you said, training camps about three weeks away. So I'll say, I say, say it every week, this time of year, light your candles, pray to whatever God you believe in about everybody's health on the chiefs. As we get closer and closer to the training camps, just send all, all those good vibes out there. All right. The, the Deandre Hopkins update, nothing crazy. I, I kind of called it in my head when I was writing the outline for the show, the, uh, the, the, the DeAndre Hopkins non-update update, but this came from Jeremy Fowler over at ESPN, who's very tapped into to the Chiefs. He said the Chiefs have kept in contact with DeAndre Hopkins over the course of his free agency. They are interested, but the problem right now is money. The Chiefs don't have any, and DeAndre Hopkins wants at least some, and certainly more than the Chiefs have to offer right now. We've talked about it on the podcast. If the Chiefs were to extend Chris Jones... That would open up money potentially for them to bring in a DeAndre Hopkins. So I wanted to ask you, Adam, we know that DeAndre Hopkins has visited the Patriots. He's visited the Titans, supposedly had good visits at both. What's he waiting for? Is he waiting for a team like the Chiefs or the Bills to to make him the kind of offer that he wants? Why not Probably. just <clears throat> Why rush? The, the Titans and the... Uh... The Patriots, those are always going to be dance partners. They desperately need another weapon for their young quarterbacks. Right now, the Bills and Chiefs don't have the money. I kind of think he doesn't like to practice, right? So if he misses a little bit of camp, so be it. And also, during the preseason, a star receiver goes down for a contending team. All of a sudden, his price tag goes up. So I think he's not in any hurry, especially given that the the two main suitors are not the most ideal situations, you know, landing spots. Yeah. I think that makes sense, right? He's under no obligation to sign now in the middle of July, early July, late June. Like he doesn't need to do it. He's got plenty of time to wait, see what happens. And also he's got the leverage. There's nobody else like him available right now. So as you pointed out, an injury could happen, but also, why accept everybody's first offer? He's got two teams that really want him and maybe some other teams that need to move money around. So he can wait and he can see, okay, uh, maybe he likes the Patriots more than he likes the Titans. And that's kind of where he's leaning. But he's just going to sit back and wait. The Chiefs have reached out and said, hey, we're working on this thing with Chris Jones. It might take some time. Maybe he, he, he would go to New England, but if the Chiefs can get in the ballpark, He'll go to Kansas City because he wants a shot at a ring. He wants to play with a guy like Patrick Mahomes. It all makes sense. He he doesn't need to rush. And, I mean, who does like practice this time of year? Rookies. That's about it, right? Because they, they can go out there and test their medal and try to make the team. But other than that, the guys like Travis Kelsey, DeAndre Hopkins, they don't want to be out there sweating half to death in St. Joe. Um, they will. They'll go, of course, but nobody wants to do it. And I, I totally get it. So maybe if he gets there a couple weeks into camp. No, I will say, though, if he's going to come to Kansas City, the ideal situation would be he's there for the entirety of training camp so he can absorb as much of, of Andy Reid's complex offense as possible. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, the thing with DeAndre Hopkins is I think he's lost a little bit of speed. And he wasn't particularly fast to begin with. So I imagine they'd want to use him quite a bit out of the slot. The, the Cardinals kind of shifted to that last year with – Christian Kirk gone. I think that would be kind of a natural spot for him, but Andy does like his receivers to know all three spots. That's going to be hard to do on an accelerated timeline. Uh, I have a couple issues with this at this point. One, 
opportunity cost for Sky Moore, Rasheed Rice, and Kadarius Tony, right? Especially if he's going to play out of the slot. The second thing is, yes, Chris Jones is going to free up some cap room, but let's not let that money burn a hole in our pocket because we could extend Legere Sneed, right? We could go out and get, get ahead of that. One of the things the Eagles, who we're going to talk about here later, have done very well, and the Cowboys have done a horrific job uh, at is getting ahead of these extensions, right? It, you can save a lot of money, keep your guys in house. Uh, so that could be one thing. Also, last year, there was 10 midseason trades, twice as many as we've ever seen. This is becoming more, GMs are treating the midseason or the, the deadline more like the NBA, right? It's, it's changed a lot. The Chiefs have made yeah. a trade two years in a row. So there are other things we could use this money on. Also, Carlos Dun Dunlap, uh, Melvin Ingram, Yannick Ngakwe. There are edges still out there. Jadavian Clowney. Uh, so there are other options. We get a super chat from our guy Chris Wright. Appreciate you, man. Says, can you imagine Pat Pop Kelsey D Hop KT MVS starting lineup with our own line? Ooh, see, yeah, uh, oh we, um, yeah. I mean, that's that's enticing. I mean, I want to see the young guys play as much as anybody. But what I really want is for the Chiefs to win as many Super Bowls while they have Patrick Mahomes as possible. And with all due respect to Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice, the receiver that exists right now that could be on the Chiefs that's not on the Chiefs, that DeAndre Hopkins, gives them the best chance to do that given his talent and skill set. So I'm I'm willing to let those guys, uh, you know, marinate for another year if it means a, another Super Bowl next Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Next year. Uh, I wanted to get to, uh, we're going to get to the Eagles in a second, but I wanted to get to a couple reviews. I've been slacking on the reviews. If you like this podcast, if you're watching on YouTube right now, great. The best way you can support us is hit that thumbs up button, leave a comment, get engaged in the conversation. Um, but if you listen on audio and you want to leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts, it helps more people find our show. And if you leave us a five-star review, we will read it on the show. And if you ask us a question, we can address your question in there as well. And this is a great time of year to get your questions in because, you know, news is a little bit slow. So I got to start off uh, with our guy. Uh, we call him our PR manager, Clinton Blake McKenzie. He said, reliably excellent. Life happens, so I haven't reviewed as much lately. However, this is no reflection at all on the podcast here. They are consistently the best cheese podcast out there. Entertaining, informative, and educational. In fact, I'm currently listening to Sterling Holmes talk with Daniel Harms, and it epitomizes everything that AA does well. Mr. Harms' family is clearly audible in the background at times, and you know what? I love that. It doesn't happen all the time by any means, but it's a great reminder that these are real live Chiefs fans talking about the team we love. I can't recommend this group often enough or highly enough. Thanks, y'all. Love you, Clint. Appreciate the kind words. And yeah, that's what we try to do here. Um, I think that it's one of the things that makes us stand out. And um, there's just been a great lineup of guests this summer. I'm, I'm really, I feel like we really raised the bar for ourselves on all three shows across the Arrowhead Attic uh, 
you know, cinematic universe, podcast universe. So is that what we call it? The podcast universe. Um, you're a movie guy. The APU. The AAPU. Yeah. AAAP. AAU says, says producer Sean, who's with us today. AAU. Yeah. Yeah. That, not to be confused with basketball, but that, that has a better ring to it. Yeah. And there's a, there's, a, there's also Arrowhead Pride from SB Nation out there, which is another great chief site. We don't want to confuse that. So I would say AAU is the way to go. Um, another review here. Uh, let's see. Where is this one? Um, oh, yeah. From Yogi. Um, uh, he said uh, he, he left us a five star review and said, uh, oh, this is from back in, in June. Um, for your information, Sky Moore did not line up on the wrong side for his Super Bowl TD. Kelsey did. Love when we can get when we make a mistake in the pod and we get a five star review out of it. Shout out to Yogi for the review. And then lastly, from at KC Chiefs 58 DT, don't miss an episode. Neither does my 13 year old. Keep up the good work, boys. Appreciate you and sorry about all the cursing. We've been better in the off season. Things go off the rails a little bit during during the year. So if you, I don't know, maybe some people don't care if they're. 13 year olds hear a few curse words, but, uh, it's uh PG 13 for a reason, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. We got it. We have it correctly categorized. Um, if you want to hear your review, your question answered on the podcast, head over to Apple podcasts, leave us a five-star review. It's been a minute since we've had one, so we could use a rush of them. So like go nuts this week and we'll answer them, uh, you know, next week I'll, I'll be on top of it. I promise. Um, Joshua in the chat says, Hopkins fills some of the juju stuff. Tony slash Moore fill the McColl role. Rice does the more rookie role. Interesting. Interesting. I've heard some people say that that Rice could step into the juju role. That that could be interesting as well. Um uh Black Elf 19 says swearing keeps it real. Speak freely. I, I agree. I, I'm I, you know, we don't need to be sailors over here, but I think a well-placed swear word. Uh, can be done artfully. Um, it's yeah, not a Tarantino do, podcast here. No, you don't want to do performative cussing, but sometimes yeah. the emphasis makes it necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, we got a, a another shout out from our guy, John Satterfield. Uh, what's up, guys? Let's go Chiefs. Indeed. Let's hit that like button, folks. Let's get as many likes on the on the video as we have people watching the show. All right, let, let's get into this Eagle stuff. Before we do, just wanted to let you guys know we got a great deal over at FanDuel. You can take advantage of it. It's for new customers. It's a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. And all you have to do is click our link in the description to sign up. If you sign up for FanDuel with our link, you'll not only uh, get your first bet insured, but you're also going to be greatly supporting this podcast. And I can really emphasize that greatly. Uh, so if you're interested in trying FanDuel, click the link below and sign up with us. This offer is available for new customers who are 21 and older and physically present in most legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly and check the description for the offer's full terms. And if you haven't already, if you if you already have an account with FanDuel, you can head over to arrowheadaddict.com slash bet to find more betting offers from some of our partners and support the podcast. Appreciate you all. All right. The Philadelphia Eagles... You know, I don't want to, why am, why am I still talking about the Eagles? It's July. We won the Super Bowl in February. It was great. And here we are, and I guess they're as bored as we are with the lack of, of NFL stuff happening. And Eagles current and former are running their mouths. And I've, I've, I've entitled this segment, the Eagles are a bunch of crybabies. I have like, and I, I said this, I think on Twitter. 
after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl and Juju Smith-Schuster was running his mouth about the Eagles, when, when I thought right after the Super Bowl, the Eagles were a class act, admitted to the hold, they weren't making excuses, and Juju's just running his mouth. He's on his way out of Kansas City, just making everybody look stupid. I don't like that. I don't like when our guys talk. If I'm going to sit here and criticize the Bengals when the Bengals are talking all their mess, I'm going to criticize the Chiefs when they do it out of turn. I have no problem with a little good rivalry. But what I want my team to talk is after they after they take care of their business, not before. Because when you do it before, you look like a clown, especially when things don't go your way. So like, how much fun was it as Chiefs fans to make fun of the Bengals for all the Burrowhead stuff and the cigar smoking, all that shit. We got to just roast them. I'm still roasting them on Twitter. And I've got a leg to stand on, right? Because my, my team wasn't running their mouths before the AFC championship game. Now we fast forward to the Eagles. The game is over. You lost. It's one thing, you know, it's embarrassing to be the Bengals and to be talking all that mess in the AFC championship game and for Burrow to show up in a sorry in advance t-shirt and then lose. That's one, that's one realm of embarrassment. But another realm of embarrassment that's even more pathetic and worse, because at least you could say about the Bengals, they're confident in themselves. And they had some reason to be based on their success over the Chiefs. Eagles lost the Super Bowl. They gave up 38 points. They gave up two touchdowns in the red zone where guys walked into the end zone. Walked into the end zone. There was yep. nobody within 30 yards of these guys. Could have stepped on a grenade. Nobody else would have died. No, no. They could have, they could have set the ball down and break dance and then picked it back up and went in the end zone. That's how wide open those guys were. They were like, do you ever see vanilla sky? Oh yeah. When Tom Cruise has that dream and he's in the middle of times square, just looking around, there's nobody yeah. else around. That's how open particularly sky Moore was. Yeah. I'm a big vanilla sky guy. I, I, uh, you know, they actually did close down times square. That's a real shot. That's not CGI. They closed down a portion of Times Square. Incredible. And like at like six in the morning, they got down there like right after once they got their light and they got those shots. Um, not something you see very often is Times Square empty. So here's what happened. Here's what I'm ranting about. So Brandon Graham was on a podcast or something, and he he said a couple things that that got got me angry. So the first one was he said that Patrick Mahomes was acting like his ankle was more hurt than it was. So here's the quote. He said, Patrick went in there on the sideline and he's looking like he's hurt. Get him. We got to get him. And he came out and you can tell how tough he is, but that boy acted good. He sure put that face up like he was hurting. So that's Brandon Graham. All right. Then, then he cries about the field. He says, when we looked at the film, there was a couple of times where if sweaty defensive end, Josh sweat doesn't don't slip boy strip sack, especially that first drive, the first drive where he threw it across the middle to, to, to Kelsey. He was right there, man. He slipped. We could not believe it. We're going to get that back. It's coming back. So that's him. Now his comments, the, the, his comments about the field, like I don't, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that inflammatory. Like it was a shitty field. They did slip. 
right? Like you can understand that, like, like lamenting that and being like, ah, damn, like, you know, that sucks. The stuff about Mahomes, and we'll get to CJ Gardner Johnson in a minute, but the stuff about Mahomes, I just want to get your opinion on that. They have to pick on, they have to find something to nitpick when it comes to Mahomes. They can't, he's a pretty flawless player. He's an upstanding citizen, just a good role model. He always says the right thing, always makes the right play, pretty much. So that's why you see people bring up his wife, bring up his his brother, invent narratives like this out of thin air. Uh, give me a break. Yeah. And even if he was, we know he was hurt for sure. We know he's tough for sure. We've seen him come back from a dislocated knee in two weeks. Just one example. We've seen him play through a number of high ankle sprains. And if there was a little, if he was being a little bit of a thespian to, to kind of throw the Eagles off, Hey, it's part of, it's part of gamesmanship. Right. But I don't think that was the case. Yeah. I'm interested to know what y'all watching live on YouTube think. Do you think Mahomes was at any point playing up how injured he was? I do not. Uh, I'll just, I'll just put that out there right now because you know, you can see some of those replays, particularly the one at the end of the first half in the Super Bowl when his, his ankle got rolled up on. You can see it on his face in the slow-mo replays. Like nobody, he's not thinking like, let me just, oh, somebody's touching my ankle. Let me, let me grimace. Like while he's getting tackled and you know what I mean? Like he was hurt. That hurt. I've had, a, I used to run cross country. I've had every kind of ankle sprain imaginable on both, on both ankles multiple times. <laughs> Those suckers hurt, particularly the high ankle sprain. Oh, yeah. You're on crutches. Like, it, you know, so how severe was his high ankle sprain? It probably wasn't the most severe kind of high ankle sprain, just based on the fact that he was able to play. But to, to suggest that he was faking it, like we saw him in the game against Jacksonville in the second half. He was severely limited, severely limited. To think that he would, you know, for lack of a better word, dick around for like sympathy or gamesmanship when like he's the best quarterback on the planet, he doesn't need to. He doesn't like he doesn't need to play possum in those situations. Um, he was hurt. He's the guy was hurt. I just think it's it's yeah. You know, he was compromised the entire playoff run, and we've seen in years past during the regular season he really picks and chooses his spots as a scrambler. Yeah. But in the postseason, we really saw this in the Buffalo game two seasons ago, that epic slugfest. He came out in that first drive and he pretty much scrambled all the way down the field. So he will dip into that bag early and often in the postseason. And he really couldn't do that this run. It was almost exclusively at the end of games where he had to take off and scoot and try to win the game with his legs. Uh, so this is just nonsense. You know, they have to, they have to find something, some way to bring us down. And I'm wondering what's going to happen first. Patrick Mahomes running out of shelf space for all his trophies or rings or the rest of the league running out of excuses. And I, I'm, I'm betting Patrick Mahomes is going to run out of space before they run out of excuses. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it, so, I mean, look, it's preposterous to suggest that he was faking anything. And these guys know that because they all play with pain. It's not just like a quarterback thing. 
the offensive line and these guys on the defense, they're all hurt all the time. They're Lane playing Johnson had a very serious injury that he played with. Right. Just because Mahomes was able to dig deep and scramble a couple of times in that playoff run and run on that ankle and run through the pain does not mean he wasn't feeling that every single time he especially dropped at the end of the game where if the I mean in the AFC championship he either gets two weeks off or his season is done in the Super Bowl he doesn't have to play for half a year or something like that yeah so him throwing caution to the into the wind at the end of the game that doesn't mean he was playing possum yeah yeah Chris Wright says he was hurt just like the Eagles pride uh, um, Black Elf 19 says the guy was obviously hurt. He could barely plant his feet to throw. Um, yeah, I agree. I, he just, you know, he, he toughed it out when he had to. And, you know, there was, I can't remember who said it about Joe Montana, but they said, you know, Joe Montana wasn't always great, but he was always great when he had to be. And, Mm. I, that's not Patrick Mahomes. Like Patrick Mahomes is always great and he's frequently great. Um, sometimes even when he doesn't have to be, but especially when he has to be, I think that's the thing with Patrick Mahomes is, and, and that that's what puts him in that goat conversation because Brady was the same way. Like Brady, if they needed it, Brady was going to get it. And Mahomes is Mahomes does stuff that Tom Brady and Joe Montana could never dream of doing. And he does these magic tricks and it's, it's, it's a show. It's a circus, but boy, man, when the chiefs need a play, that dude does things that is just, it, it defies belief. Yeah. And it's just not optics and the big plays. You see it in the stats. I saw this tweet from Warren Sharp today that when the chiefs are down, their offense leads the league in scoring percentage. That was last season. So uh, what we're seeing in the numbers matches the eye test. The other thing I'll mention about Mahomes' ankle, he is a rare athlete. He, how limber he is yeah. and how they train. Uh, they train for these kind of situations. I don't know if you remember he when he did that crazy spin pass against the Buccaneers that he lobbed it into CEH. If you look at the weight coming down on his ankle, I would have been on crutches for six weeks. Yeah. Most of us would, but they're training stuff like proprioception. He's an, ex I mean, he's Gumby. He's an exceptionally limber person. He has a really high pain threshold. So just because he can play through these things, that's what makes him so rare and so exceptional. And we don't talk about his toughness and his ability to, to, to take punishment as much as we should, because you look at guys like Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, missing significant time every season and whatever Pat gets hurt, it's usually not that catastrophic and he pay, uh, he plays through pain very well. Yeah. Gumby is the word. I think that's the name for him. He he's super bendy and that is very good in a game like the NFL, but let's just limit those hits, Patrick. Uh, let's limit those hits, save them for the playoffs. If ever <laughs> we need you out there. Um, Benjamin says, Patrick didn't fake the injury. You could see the pain in his face. Agree. 100%. All right. So let's get to this. Let's get to this clown CJ Gardner Johnson, who many Eagles fans, including our, our producer, Sean have been quick to point out to me is no longer on the Eagles. And so they're not claiming his content, uh, his, his comments. He's gone to the lions now where he'll never make another super bowl ever again. 
Um, so let's 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 get his uh, let's get his comments out. Here's what he said. So there there was this report that came out from the supposedly from the NFL via Pro Football Talk, our boy Florio, and said essentially that the NFL was blaming the 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 field conditions. It wasn't really the field. It was it was players wearing the wrong kinds of cleats. So that's what got CJ Gardner Johnson going. And I can't really blame him. He did say something about I, he tried three different pairs of cleats. The NFL blaming that field on the cleats is just classic NFL, just completely ridiculous. It was no just, accountability ever, right? It was a giant slip and slide out there for everybody. So, you know, whatever. So he's mad about that and fine. But then he goes and he says, he tweeted this run that bull back on legit grass, the D-line smash, all caps, smash that O-line. I'm sorry, he tweeted. Bro, stop embarrassing yourself. <laughs> like, nobody got any legit sacks in that game. The Chiefs had a couple, but those were, you know, like coverage mobile quarterback sacks. Right. They, they were going to smash the O-line? Yeah, and my issue with this is no doubt the Eagles have the better defensive line, but the best defensive lineman in that game, no question about it, was Chris Jones. So if you guys were affected by it, so was the best defensive player in this game, the best defensive lineman in this game. Yes, I don't think the Chiefs' defense teleported to a different field <laughs> in, you know, every time the Eagles got on offense. So it just doesn't really make sense. But there's, you know, the 49ers were crying about getting held. Uh, it's just going to happen every time. Losing a Super Bowl, especially when they're, like, when we lost the Bucks, 0% doubt. 0% doubt we were coming back. Maybe not the next year. Maybe not even the year after that. But the next four or five years, we were going to be back at least once, hell or high water. For some of these other teams, eh, you know, I, I thinking back to, like, the Tennessee Titans, the Jeff Fisher, Steve McNair teams, they were a yard away from winning a Super Bowl, never got back. Happens yeah. all the time. And that could be Jalen Hurts. I'm kind of skipping ahead here, but that could be the fate of Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni too. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to ask you about. And you know, Becky in the chat says they were playing on the same field. You can't blame the field. Absolutely. So – Throwing out C.J. Gardner-Johnson, like let him run his mouth. We can make fun of him. There's so many different reasons to point to him. We already have pointed to many of them as to why the Eagles lost that game that had nothing to do with the field. Will the Eagles, in your opinion, and I think everybody agrees, this is a very talented Eagles team. There's a lot of talent. They're loaded with really good players. But as we know, in the NFL, it doesn't always matter. <laughs> Nope. Will the Eagles make it back to the Super Bowl? How do you think their season will go? And do you think this, and because, because we're hearing this, these little bits about these excuses about the game, know that those are just the tip of the iceberg. If we're, if some of this is leaking out, there's more of it in the locker room. There's more people in the organization who believe it. Do you think Adam, that this sort of way of thinking is going to be detrimental to the Eagles as they head into another year and is the Super Bowl hangover going to hit them? I don't think this way of thinking is going to hit them. I, teams make excuses all the time. It's not easy 
to stomach that kind of defeat, right? Uh, the Super Bowl hangover is kind of a real thing, and it definitely could affect them. The real MVP of this team, in my opinion, and why they will probably win their division is Howie Roseman. If you look at how much money they've pushed forward, I mean, to me, it looks like they're even outdoing the Saints right now. They're pushing some of Jalen Hurts' money into 2029. So this is a team that is very, very serious about winning. Their owner and their GM are in lockstep about being the most aggressive team in the league. And the Cowboys in the NFC East are a real threat to them. But the issue there, gosh, Jerry Jones is maybe the best at branding I've ever seen because he has this persona, this public persona that nobody wants to win worse than me, but they are 26th in spending. They haggle over every single deal. I mean, Dak Prescott, they haggled over that cost themselves a lot of money. Amari Cooper, the list goes on and on. Uh, and I think the Eagles have a good shot to, to, uh, to make it all the way because they just do a great job managing managing their their cap situation, being aggressive, but also remembering the human element of of that locker room, keeping their nucleus around. Uh, just they've done a fantastic job of building that team. I think we're a little too high on Sirianni and Jalen Hurts right now. You know the way I look at quarterback play is the defensive have you ever like put together a puzzle with a bunch of friends yeah it's it's easier than doing it yourself right so patrick mahomes was a 500 piece puzzle when he came to the league and and it was a really confusing puzzle but you know a little lou anarumo a little vic fangio they they eventually like put together that puzzle and then a little frustrating stretch but then mahomes is like boom thousand piece puzzle Take that bitch. Totally different. Can Jalen Hurts do that? You know, that's my question. Can he evolve? Can he elevate his game? Can he change who he is? I don't know if he's that, if he's capable of being that versatile of a player. And perhaps it doesn't matter because they have the best offensive line in the league. They have AJ Brown and Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard, and they're just that loaded. And the defense is great, but they did lose their offensive coordinator. And we, I mean, everyone thought Buffalo was the team to beat last season. Right. Yep. And I think everybody overlooked Brian Dable and what he meant to Josh Allen in particular. I think it might be tough on Jalen hurts to lose, to lose his offensive coordinator. I really do. I think it's just fascinating. They're a very well-run organization. It's just, I think the chiefs have us, our minds warped a little bit because they've gone to the AFC championship game they're they're a whisker away from from being in like a million Super Bowls in a row, which is like impossible to do. Period, and it's the difference makers in Hall of Famers at the two most important positions for your team, which is head coach and quarterback. So that's how you're able to do that. And so you can look at how talented the Eagles are, and you can be like, oh yeah, of course they're going to be back. They're loaded. You know they're they're gonna they're gonna go right back. They're they're the clearly the most talented team. Them the 49ers, maybe the Cowboys in the NFC. But look at again, look at like you mentioned Buffalo. We thought Buffalo was going to be that team that was going to be there with the Chiefs. A couple years before that, it was going to be the Ravens and Lamar. Now it's the Bengals, right? The Bengals have made it to two straight AFC Championship games, 
And, it, a, you know, we're talking a whisker away from them going to two straight Super Bowls. Right. The gay were right there. So it's, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. The Bengals could not make it to the AFC championship game this year, or they could, and it could be the Chiefs and the Bengals again. And you just have this all time, you know, setting up for an all time great rivalry, which I think is a good, good chance of happening, but it's very hard. It's very, very hard to go back again and again and again, no matter how good you are. We, I, I talk about it on the podcast all the time that the Patriots went 10 years between winning Super Bowls with that, with that dynasty. It's really a tale of two dynasties. You know, they got in the playoffs. And then remember when uh, it was the Ravens just ran right through them in the playoffs yep. one year. And you were like, whoa, yep. what's going on here? Like things happen, man. People get injured. So look at Aaron Rodgers. Everyone thought Aaron Rodgers is going to be in the Super Bowl every year. He finally got there. He won it. Nope. Hasn't been back. And it's got it's there too- one time. And I would argue from a talent standpoint, now, talent includes a lot of things. It includes leadership, poise, uh, all these different intangibles. But from an athletic standpoint, I think it's very arguable that he is a more talented quarterback than Tom Brady. Yeah. And for him to only make one Super Bowl, I have family. I'm married into a Packers family, and they are just distraught over it. They will never understand how they were kind of in our situation, according to them. Now, I think Mahomes is ultimately going to be a better player and really already is because he's exceeded Aaron's accomplishments, but just didn't happen. The thing that the Eagles have going for them, along with how aggressive they are as a franchise, and this gives them staying power that the Bengals perhaps might not and might not have. I'm not going to believe in the longevity of the Bengals until I see that cheap-ass ownership actually pay you know actually pay burrow chase and higgins because i think burrow being a relatively non-mobile quarterback needs those two guys that's really what puts them over the top the eagles they're going to keep being aggressive and the nfc is, is laughably weak i'm trying to think who the fourth best team is i mean it's not the vikings i don't care how many games they won last year they I mean, they were the most fraudulent 13-win team I've ever seen. So is it the Lions? Is it the Seahawks? I mean, it might be the Seahawks. That's insane to me. Yeah, I think it's a the Lions, the Seahawks. I'd say watch out for the Saints this year I, because okay. I think Derek Carr, they've got some weapons. You know, they, they, could, they could be in the mix. They're not going to be elite. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, it, the, the Eagles have to worry about San Francisco. San Francisco is largely like that team really messed up a couple of seasons for Aaron Rodgers, even though they've never had a quarterback that they needed. They're just so good defensively that that's the team that you could see knocking off the Eagles in a divisional round game. And then they go to the championship game and they lose to some rando team like the Seahawks because they don't have a quarterback. And the next thing you know, the Chiefs are in there against the, the random team. Like when the Rams made it, like the Chiefs would have beaten the Rams. I wholly believe that. I'll say this, though, about the 49ers. Whether it's Lance or Purdy or even Darnold, who ends up being that quarterback. I, I don't believe that Nick Sirianni and uh, Mike McCarthy have a scheme or a system advantage. 
I do believe that like Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan's system, he's that good. He's yeah. that good of a play caller and a game planner that he gives you an advantage over almost anybody. And when you have that, and I like Jalen Hurts. I like Dak Prescott. They are not Patrick Mahomes. They aren't even Joe Burrow or, or Josh Allen. I would even argue Lamar Jackson. So I just don't know that if they can figure out that, that quarterback situation, that they're not going to be in the Super Bowl again. I think the 49ers, if they get that figured out, that is the best group of skill players in the league. I don't think it's particularly close when you have Ayuk, Kittle, Debo, and, and Christian McCaffrey. So uh, the Eagles have, hey, if they're in the AFC, I'd say no way. They're, they're getting back there. But it's possible. I think you're right, though, on the 49ers. There's something about the 49ers and, and injuries. I don't know exactly what it is with their training staff or something, but it'll be interesting to see if it hits them again this year because there's perhaps not a more cursed team other than Chargers the Chargers. Yeah, right. The char yeah, the Chargers and the and the that's like a mash unit every year. Um, all right, we got to get to our regular season bowl predictions. If you're watching on YouTube, do us a favor, hit that thumbs up button if you haven't already. Get involved in the chat. We'd love to hear from you, hear your thoughts and opinions on all things chiefs. Uh, by the way, uh, if you want to get swagged out, now's a really great time. Uh, we got you covered. You can head over to the arrowhead addict merch store. It is now live. You can visit it right now in the link in the description below. We've got everything in there from shirts to hoodies to beach towels, even a sweet pint glass, um, coffee mugs, I think slides. Uh, it's all in there. Some really great black hoodies. I gotta get my hands on. Um, but Hey, uh, that's not all. We got a promo code. For this week's listeners, use the code 3P and get 15% off your order today. Make sure you use it fast because it will expire on Sunday. So rep the podcast and save a bit of money while you're at it. We truly appreciate it. Um, okay, let's get to our bold predictions. We want to hear your predictions as well. If you're watching on YouTube, hit us up in the chat. If you're listening to this later in the audio version, leave us a five-star review on Apple and leave us your bold predictions in there. And we'll go over them on the show next week. All right, so we each put down three, three bold proje uh, projections. I'm going to let you kick us off, Adam. Charles Aminahue gets 10 sacks, 10 or more sacks. And okay. that I think that's bold because that's double what he did last season. Uh, but if you look at Aminahue, depending on the source, he's either first or at least top three on pass rush win rate when he kicks inside. He's basically unblockable. Now you move him next to Chris Jones. I don't know what team in the NFL is going to be able to block these two guys inside. I just, I, I don't know if it's possible. And he was very good on the edge too. He was very good. He did play for an elite unit. It's good in coverage, great linebacking core. Some phenomenal players played alongside him like Nick Bosa and, and the others. But I just think he is a player that, really was the most underrated gem of free agency. And I expect him to be our most reliable pass rusher at the edge position in large part because of what he can do when he kicks inside on third down. I think that's a really smart point. And I think if you look at his, like his pro football focus grades, like you can see it, there's a really talented player here and maybe was a gem for the chiefs. And I'm actually, I'm going to skip my first one. I'm going to go to another one. Because I want to play off of that, particularly your point that 
he may get kicked inside a lot to play next to Chris Jones or Chris Jones is going to be taken on double teams. He gets a single Mike Dana. I know everyone's excited about George Karloftis. I know everybody's excited about FAU Mike Dana. We don't talk enough about Mike Dana. He has been a really nice find for the chiefs. He was a fifth round pick out of Michigan. He's in a contract year. He's gotten better as a pass rusher every year. Early in his career, he was a better tackler um, and he was a better run defender. Last year, he struggled a little bit in those areas, but he ended up getting five sacks. I think he's focusing, and that's how the Chiefs kind of use him. They move him around and use him as kind of a pass rush specialist. So I think he's a little bit less concerned about that stuff. And you know, he knows the end of his rookie contracts coming up. As a fifth-round pick, you don't make a ton of money. I think he's going to count like $2 million against the cap this year. But if he hits free agency with some decent sack numbers, he could get some life-changing money. So that's one of the reasons why my prediction for him is that he has double-digit sacks this year. He goes from five to 10-plus, just like you have for Omenihu. And the other reason why is because I think they're going to have a package sometimes where they kick Omenihu inside and you got Mike Dana and Carl Loftus or FAU, Chris Jones and Dana and it's just going to be a bear to try to to block. He, I wrote down, uh, so I went over to Pro Football Focus and I was looking at the grades and I was looking also at the snap counts. So Mike Dana had 556 snaps last year. Frank Clark had 884. So, and, and as far as pass rush snaps, Dana had 371 and uh, Frank had 591. So you, you, you combine the fact that they're going to sometimes move a inside and that you have this big void of snaps that from the departing Frank Clark that will be, I'm sure, split up between FAU and Mike Dana. I think this is Mike Dana's year. They know it's the last year of his contract. I think he's an average player with a, a slightly above average pass rush skill set. Maybe he makes the jump this year and becomes like a guy that like has a big breakout season. That's a possibility. Um, but I just think his talent alone and the opportunity that's going to be afforded to him with the way that the current defensive line is structured. And I think FAU is a little bit more of a project and I don't think he's going to see as many snaps as Carl Loftus did last year. Carl Loftus played 828 snaps last year. Um, I don't think FAU is going to, going to hit that mark. So for all those reasons, I think this is the year where Mike Dana has this big breakout year and then he goes and signs a big deal somewhere else. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's certainly possible. He has one of the highest motors, I think, in the entire league. I'm a big fan of Mike Dana. And one potential snag is it's a little bit easier to be effective when you're a part-time player. One of the things that was so impressive about Chris Jones last year is he had increased playing time. He saw increased double teams had the best season of his career. But I think collectively you and I are onto something here. And we've seen it happen pretty much every year with the Los Angeles Rams when Aaron Donald was just wreaking havoc. And Chris Jones played on that level last year. Someone on the defensive line benefits from playing alongside Godzilla or King Kong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to work out quite well something else to remember about mike dan you know i mentioned he was a fifth round pick he was uh out of michigan but he only played one year there he was playing as central michigan 
and then was a graduate transfer to Michigan. And he's a guy who like, you know, he started out the smaller school was okay. Then had a really good season, started turning some heads, Michigan recruits him. He goes to, he goes from central Michigan to the big 10 does well. I want to say he had like five sacks or something like that playing only one start for Michigan, but he, he was up to the challenge. Then he goes into the NFL draft. You read the scouting reports on him. Yeah, he's got some talent, but he's a little bit inconsistent. Some pad level issues probably isn't going to be able to hang with a team at the next level. But what does he do? Just like he did at Michigan, comports himself well. So he could be one of these late bloomer pass rushers that, you know, you look at him now and you say, well, he's been with the Chiefs for three years, but he didn't play very much his first year, not a ton. He started coming on like this is he's got an opportunity here. I know they drafted FAU. The fact that they keep drafting edge probably tells you that they don't think Mike Dan is going to become a permanent second contract guy. But I'm just saying like the contract year is undefeated. Yeah. And yeah. he's made kind of his life story is defying expectations at this point, probably even expectations at Michigan expectations here in Kansas city among the franchise. So if he does it again, it won't be the most surprising thing in the world. Yeah. And if you look at his PFF grades, he's inconsistent at times, but he has some games where he's red hot. So can he put it all together consistently? I think he'll get an opportunity this year. And I think that's my bold prediction. It's the year of Mike Dana. Uh, okay. Um, I'll kick us off this time since you went first last time and I'll go back uh, to my original number one here, which is the chiefs are going to start the year seven and up. I really believe it. Um, I've, they've got some tough games in there. It's not going to be a cakewalk, but I'm thinking about the year that they came off of the Super Bowl win and they went 14 and two and went back to the Super Bowl. I think that that's going to be this team. They had so much change last year, so many rookies playing starting minutes. I think they're going to come into this year extremely confident, really set in what they do, and they're going to come out of the gate strong. They're going to take care of Detroit. They're going to take care of Jacksonville. They're going to take care of the Bears. They're going to knock off Aaron Rodgers and the Jets on Sunday Night Football in New York. They're going to take care of the Vikings and Justin Jefferson. And uh, they're going to beat Denver again on Sunday Night Football. And they're going to win their first game against the Chargers. And then when I did my way, way too early predictions, I actually, earlier this offseason, I had them their streak against the Broncos coming to an end at mile high on October 29th after a 7-0 start. Um, I don't know. I'll, we'll see after the preseason if I'm going to stick to that prediction, but I really do think they've got a really good shot at going to seven. And up. Yeah. The schedule is kind of backloaded. Uh, I'm not as high on the jets as a lot of people are. So that might be part of my opinion there. Yeah. I think they could be the 2023 version of the 2022 Broncos. I mean, Nathaniel Hackett is even there. So I like the way it's lined up for them. I like, I know they have less rest in between games and any other team or something like that. I don't know that that matters as much to a team as well-oiled as an Andy Reed uh, defending champion. Right. Yeah. I, I could see it. Certainly. I mean, they're probably only going to lose what four games max. I mean, that's just who they are. Right. Death taxes, Mahomes and Reed winning 12 or 13 or 14 games. You yeah. can set your watch to it. Right. Yeah, I mean, they could lose some of these early games, particularly if that new offensive line takes some time to gel with the with the you know the new tackles. But I just think I think they're going to come out 
just looking for a repeat and just really confident in, in themselves and what they do. And I just think that that's going to lead to based on the way the schedule is laid out. Like they've got Jacksonville's number. I think Jacksonville is going to be better, but like they're better than Detroit. They're better than Jacksonville. They're better in Chicago. They're better in New York. Like they're better than all these teams. They could, they could not lose until they play the, the, the dolphins on, on November 5th in Germany. Yeah. In Germany. Uh, or they could run the table to the bye week I mean, they're that, they're that good. And then they have, you know, they got to play the Eagles and the Bills and the Bengals on the second half of the year. Uh, they're not going to go undefeated, but it's it's totally possible. All right, what's your second bold prediction? Kadarius Tony has a prime Percy Harvin season. Oh, Percy and Harvin. By that, what I mean mm-hmm. is Percy Harvin's career was cut short by injuries, but at his best, he was a guy that could give you 800 to a thousand yards receiving, a couple hundred more on the ground and then have a few uh, back-breaking punt returns in high-leverage moments. That's the kind of player he was. That's the kind of player I see Kadarius Toney being. I know some of his critics, like Matt Harmon at Reception Perception, who I think is fantastic, uh, have, have kind of criticized his game as being limited. To me, I think there have been utilization issues, right? Florida didn't use him correctly. He was new to the position. He's a former quarterback. Joe Judge in New York didn't know what the hell he was doing. By the time Kadarius got, got uh, I mean, by the time Brian Dable and that new regime got there, the damage had been done. That, that relationship was fractured. And think about it. Mike Kafka, their offensive coordinator, came from the Chiefs, came up in this, in this franchise, probably really close to Reed and, and – uh, and Brett Beach, you want to maintain those kind of relationships in the NFL. If if he was a complete lemon, if there was no chance of salvaging this guy, I'm not sure that deal gets done, especially for a third-round pick. I just have faith that Andy Reid and this coaching staff are going to you know, imp- deploy the perfect utilization for a player like Kadarius Toney and the underlying metrics, I mean, with the Chiefs, his yards per route run, now it's a limited sample size, but it was one of the best numbers in the league. He's one of the most efficient players in the entire league during his time in Kansas City. And the knock on him is that he can't go downfield. But we saw that a couple times, right? The famous clip where he adjusted, you know, he's like the flash and he adjusts his glove uh, mid-pass. Yeah. What do you think about this? You think... I'm a little too high on him, too much projection, or does somebody have to get those touches? No, I I don't think, I think, look, there's a reason why he was drafted where he was drafted. And as you mentioned, some utilization issues and some injury issues. If the chiefs, we know the chiefs can utilize anybody to the best of their ability. Look at what they did with Juju Smith-Schuster last year. He had fallen out of favor in Pittsburgh, got off to a hot start to his career, and then just everything kind of went to shit. And they were done with it. The Chiefs brought him in. And I think I think that's probably a ceiling kind of year for him at this stage. Like, I think that's it. And he had that one special year when he was playing opposite of Antonio Brown. So, so maybe it's there. But I think that's a really good... He was used very smartly last year and very efficiently. And they got... It, it wasn't like a frustrating thing where, with a guy who was on the downswing and they brought him in and it didn't work out he immediately became a difference maker for this team. 
and Mahomes trusted him. I think there's a reason why they went after Kadarius Tony. It's probably somebody they liked going back and they gave up some significant draft capital to get him. They don't have a true number one. Travis Kelsey's getting a little long in the tooth. Like this guy, if this works out, if he becomes a thousand yard receiver for them and becomes like a true, the true playmaker, we think that he is. I mean, look, he's already paid off for them. He helped them win the Super Bowl. <laughs> so like everything from here on out for me is gravy. Um, I, I don't think you're off base here. I, I think there's, there, there's a lot of really smart people in Kansas City, particularly on the offensive side of the football. And the fact that they were comfortable making the moves that they did, whether instead of making some kind of desperate move to like move way up in the draft and get one of those guys, they didn't do that. They could have. They had the draft capital to pull off a trade like that if they really right. thought that they needed to. They didn't. Now, they'll they'll sign DeAndre Hopkins if they can because they'd be dumb not to. And it doesn't mean they don't believe in, in Tony, but I, I think they're comfortable with where they're at. I think you're correct. And your point about Juju was a really good one because he went from being inefficient his last year in Pittsburgh. Uh, small sample size again, but last year – his EPA when or quarterback EPA when targeted, he was top five. So that shows me Andy Reed sees sees a piece of clay and knows how to mold it. Yep. He put Juju in the slot. He said, This is my third down zone buster. Tough, rugged player over the middle who can take shots. That's what he's gonna be. He's gonna be a security blanket for Patrick Mahomes. Not gonna be a downfield threat. We're not gonna run reverses with him. This is who he is. He's going to excel in this position. And the utilization was perfect. And I agree. That's probably the best we're going to see from Juju over the rest of his career. And I think you have a point that kind of ties into this with Juju creating a void in the receiving core. Somebody has to fill, you know, someone has to get those targets, get those snaps. And you think it's Rasheed Rice. I do. And that is that is my uh, my next bold prediction here, which is that, uh, I think Rasheed Rice is going to have more receiving yards this year than Sky Moore. And I know that's surprising to a lot of people. And we've talked about it on the podcast. It's very possible he could come in and have a very Sky Moore-like season because he's a rookie and Andy and rookie wide receivers and all that. But there are some breadcrumbs that I've been following that led me to make this bold prediction. And it's a bold prediction. The fact that he went down and he worked out with Mahomes and that Mahomes apparently loves him regardless of what you know andy thinks and all that stuff if patrick mahomes has a connection with rasheed rice if patrick mahomes wants rasheed rice out on the field because patrick mahomes trusts rasheed rice she rice is gonna be on the field and his second go-to last year after travis kelsey was juju smith schuster rasheed rice has some nice size somewhat similar in size to Juju. I could see him being that guy for the Chiefs. If Mahomes trusts him, if he runs crisp routes, if he's where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there, if he can do that early on, and we saw Patrick have trouble with with MVS a few times last year. It's probably what kept Sky Moore off the field in certain instances. If if there's a connection there, and Rasheed Rice is one of these guys who's like big mental guy, Right. And he's able to accelerate his learning. They'll put him out there. You know, they used Kareem Hunt early in his career 
when, when they were trying to get things off the ground and he was having a huge impact. So I think, I think that, I think that Rasheed Rice is, is going to make an impact. I think he's going to maybe slide into that juju role and he could walk out of there with 600, 700 yards receiving this year. Yeah. It goes back to utilization again, that SMU offense, I believed was kind of gimmicky and people kind of knock Rasheed Rice for not maybe being an elite downfield separator or having a complete route tree. I don't know that he was asked to do all the things he can do. And if you look at yards per route run, he was number one versus zone and all in all of college football. He was uh, number two out of the slot to only Quentin Johnson. And then he drew more uh, pass interference flags than anybody in college football. To me, that sounds like a juju replacement, yeah. a, a very rugged, tough player, uh, especially when you consider he had a top three 10-yard split. Now, his 40 time was just average, but that first 10 yards, and, and when you pair that with he had the best vertical in this class, he's a very bursty player who I think is going to be a great intermediate target for this team, and that could happen from day one. Uh, I, I do believe in Sky more, but if that's if they think Rasheed Rice is the guy that's going to go in the slot and be a poor man, Ceedee Lamb from day one, he could put up crazy numbers for a rookie at least. Yeah, and this and look, this prediction is not a knock on Sky Moore. I see the flashes with Sky Moore as well. I just I just think they're um, again, like I said, following the breadcrumbs, looking at some of the things that have set, been said about this guy. Maybe it doesn't happen right away. Maybe it's not until the second half of the season, but it's going to be interesting. It's I, I'm so excited for preseason because that's when we get to kind of see some of these guys in action and start to start to dream a little bit about what could be. Uh, all right, your last poll prediction. The Chiefs beat both the Bengals and Bills in the regular season to send a message. I would love that. If I'm the Chiefs and I'm looking at what we could do better, over the past couple of years, I would say that we have allowing the Bengals and Bills to beat us multiple times in the regular season has given these teams too much confidence. We need to restore that that aura of invincibility, right? We need to uh, we need to defeat these teams mentally before the playoffs start. We want everyone to go in with that seed of doubt planted in the back of their mind that they can be, you know, that they can even hang with the chiefs. We let the Bengals get way, way, way too confident to the point they got overconfident and, and possibly cost themselves with all this ridiculous burrowhead stuff. Um, at the same time, I know the chiefs are super bowl or bust every year. So I don't know. And, and maybe the bills and Bengals are in that same boat. Now, I think in these previous years, those particular matchups meant more to the Bengals and Bills, right? The Chiefs are just, oh yeah. let's try to get the number one seed. Let's get to the playoffs healthy and let's keep some aces up our sleeve and really play our best football, uh, particularly with Spags and the defense once the postseason starts. So that is my hope. And I, I do think that the Chiefs are, are really sick of, of the Bengals and want to prove a point that they are not equals. Yeah. And I, I think, 
boy, that would be great because it has been frustrating losing to those teams in the regular season. And I know I've said on the show, I don't care. We lose to them every year as long as we beat them in the playoffs. I don't care about the regular season. And I agree with you as well that the Chiefs do hold things back. They do. It's hard to say that about NFL teams because it's so hard to win in the NFL. And if you can win, win and come up with new stuff later. But it's also a chance to scout these teams and what they're doing that year. And so maybe the Chiefs try some things that they're not sure about. I don't love the idea of that just because, you know, when you're playing teams like the Bills or the Bengals and you're the Chiefs, you're often playing for the number one seed. And it is so valuable to get that number one seed. Beat them in that regular season game, get the number one seed. You might not even have to play them in the playoffs because they're going to have to go play some other team. And the other thing, of course, when you look at it, and if you say, okay, in the AFC, it's the Bills and the Bengals and the Chiefs, and those are the top three teams that you're most worried about. Well, if you're the number one seed, you only got to play one of those teams because they're going to have to play each other before they get to you. And look at the year that the Chiefs had to go through both of them. It didn't work out. That's a tall order. Those are elite teams when they're playing well. You can say maybe the Bills have taken a step back, but like those are elite teams with elite quarterbacks. They're hard to beat, and the Chiefs get by you know, the skin of their teeth against these teams. I would much rather take care of them in the regular season and make sure I got that one seed. And this year, this year, the Chiefs are going to play the Bills in Week 10, and they're going to play the Bengals on New Year's Eve. So if they do what I asked them to do, or which I projected them to do, which is come out of the gate, on absolute fire there's potential unlikely but there's a potential that they could have the number one seed locked up by the time they get to that Bengals game which would be interesting because then they could they could kind of sit back a little bit um, but they would have to go like they would have to have like a like a 14 15 win season i think to pull that off yeah, I think they're wise at this point, or would be wise to look at these games as mini playoff games, particularly with the Bengals, as well as the Bengals play the Chiefs. The Bills might be a different story, but the Bengals just play the Chiefs so incredibly well that you really don't want to go to Cincinnati. So, and in terms of unloading the clip, I mean, if you have to do it, you have to do it. And I would also argue that when it comes to holding some things back, a lot of that is situational. So the way that New Year's Eve game goes versus the Bengals, there could be a whole different set of circumstances in the playoffs. So I say that's a game you got to win. Yeah. Do not, do not hold anything back against the Cincinnati Bengals. Because I think one of their, their greatest assets is their confidence. That is a, a team full of swagger. And it starts with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And the more times they beat us, the more they're going to be, you know, that idea that they are the Chiefs equal is going to be cemented in their heads. And we've already let that happen too much, in my opinion. Yeah, man. I will say, I know that they held back some, some pass rush stuff. And if you look at that AFC championship game, they just basically took away the entire first quarter for the, for the Bengals with that pass rush. Yeah. Bengals didn't do anything. So, and it still came down to the wire. That offense is just so dynamic and ho- so hard to stop. I'm hoping that the Chiefs defense is better equipped to deal with them this year. They should be. They should be better equipped to deal with them 
this year than they ever have going up against that those guys. And then who knows what the Bengals will look like after that. Just activate B.J. Thompson like a speed rusher and play him one pivotal down against Orlando Brown Jr. We know what his kryptonite is. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, that's right. We will be going after Orlando Brown Jr. And if, they, if the Chiefs do have a book on Orlando Brown Jr., that would be the one to hold back in that regular season game a little bit uh, because yeah. they just wrecked wrecked the Bengals in the but playoffs. One final thought here. The Chiefs have been a little bit lucky on both Super Bowl runs that they got the number one seed. Yep. And I think taking care of business against these two, you know, two teams uh, allows you to control your own destiny a bit better than they have. Yeah. It's really, it's such a huge advantage now with without the other buy. It just, if they can get it, Take care of business. Patrick Mahomes has never played a road playoff game, which is just so insane. But Nuts. he's never played a road playoff game. I'd rather his first road playoff game not be like the AFC Championship game in Cincinnati. So, you know, let's just take care of business and let the chips fall where they may. Um, all right, everybody. We have got to get to Patty's Power Rankings. Uh, and for all of you out there, just a quick public service announcement. I've even seen it in the chat in this show. It was in reference to Mr. Mahomes, not myself. When you are writing Patty, that is with a D. If you are talking about a male, it's Patty. Patty is Patty Cakes, right? Patty is the, the woman who works down at the library. Peppermint Patty. Peppermint Patty. Right. Yeah. Always, always a D. Always a D. Uh, okay. Um, so Patty's power rankings this week. We're gonna do we're gonna do a football theme this week, and we're gonna do our favorite Chiefs running backs of all time. Uh, so this is not the most talented necessarily, although some of them will be quite talented, I'm sure. Um, but just guys you enjoy, guys you love to watch. Uh, why don't you kick us off, Adam, with number three for you? Ooh, you know how in elections there's there's a protest vote, pre presidential elections. Yeah. You're Ralph Nader, you're Ross Perot. Well, that's me because I'm not, I'm not Mr. Running Back. And I want to celebrate, a, you know, explosive journeyman running backs with good hands that can pass protect and are dirt cheap. So it's a tie at number three for me. Damian Williams slash Jarek McKinnon little bit of an upset, a little bit of a shocker, but I want to celebrate the way we're currently approaching the running back position because I just love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. And those are those guys are great. I mean, huge, huge moments in Chiefs history, both of them integral parts in the Chiefs winning Super Bowl. So while maybe they're not in the most dazzling traditional running backs or some of the other guys that will be on this list, I I, I think it's cool that you included them here. I'm going to go for number three with me is Marcus Allen. I know he wasn't with the Chiefs for a really long time, but he was my first Chiefs jersey, has the same last name as me. And what I loved about Marcus Allen at that stage in his career was with that offensive line in particular, like the Chiefs got down to the goal line, and with Marcus Allen, they were scoring. They were giving the ball to Marcus Allen. He was getting in where they went over the top, toss play. He was just absolutely tremendous. I That was my first sort of – Chiefs team that I was really into, Marcus Allen and you know Joe Montana and all those boys. Um, so I had to put I had to put Marcus on the list. I still have my Marcus Allen jersey, by the way, made by Apex. 
I don't know how many, I don't think, I don't know if Apex wow. is even still in business, but they're not making jerseys. I can tell you that. Yeah, probably not. Okay. Um, okay. Number two for Th you. That was really all the drama I could bring to this exercise because number two is Priest Holmes. The story of him kind of both in college and with the Ravens being a sort of unsung player and then coming in for Dick Vermeil along with Trent Green as this kind of dual resurrection tandem. Yeah. Uh, just incredible vision, very patient runner, very bright guy. He was just a perfect fit for that Rofe Waters Shields line. The, one of the greatest lines in NFL history, no doubt. He's got to be number two for me. He was so smooth. He just kind of, he, he would glide around the football field. He was so fun to watch. I loved Priest. I was so sad when he got injured by, uh, mm. oh God, who was it that hit him? It was all roided up from the Chargers. Sean Marion. Mer Merriman? Merriman, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just, oh man. Looks um, like a pro wrestler, you know? Right, right, no neck. Um, he was great. I love Priest. He's my number two as well. Just absolutely devastating in fantasy football as well. Just had some really incredible seasons. Um, I, I think I heard that he was the last player in fantasy uh, running back to be number one, to be RB1 two years in a row. Oh, really? Yeah. I believe it. I mean, he. the thing about Priest, too, is he kind of got, um, yeah, shot, lights out Sean Merriman. He, they, all the roids. He took all the roids, allegedly. Uh, I don't want to get sued. Um, yes, and he... Uh, he kind of got overshadowed by Ladanian Tomlinson, you know, cause he was playing at that same time. And Ladanian was also absolutely incredible. Um, other guys would come around, you know, but like priest was priest was special. I remember he came back for a little bit, kind of like, wasn't, wasn't the same guy anymore. Um, but he was there. Uh, it was a but, hip, right? It was kind of like the Bo Jackson situation. Yeah, he was all jacked up by that point, but um, yeah, priest. Uh, he's he's number one on a lot of people's lists you know priest was for some some of our you know people around my age like he was like one of the first great chiefs they can remember and, and not all those chiefs teams were were so good so um and that got one, number one no it's it's the same number one for both of us yeah it's, it's jamal charles you want you want to say a, a few words about gc oh my gosh i mean this is this is the the perfect running back. Yeah. The explosive ability as both a home run hitter up the middle and just an electric receiving back out of the backfield could do it all. His ability to find a seam and just explode through it and not lose any momentum is you just don't see it anywhere. Yeah. And when you're talking about Priest Holmes versus Jamal Charles. And that is the conversation when it's the best running back in franchise history. All apologies to Larry Johnson and Marcus Allen and Christian Okoye. These two guys are the best. Switch switch teams. Put Jamal Charles with Trent Green and Tony Gonzalez in that line and Eddie Kinniston and put Priest Holmes, not taking anything away from Priest, but put him on those, those losing teams that were in quarterback purgatory. And, you know, Jamal Charles... We might be talking about him like Barry Sanders. He doesn't blow out his knees and plays with on a little bit better of a team. Or uh, I think he would have a much better Hall of Fame case. He was really held back 
by the surround, uh, the surrounding talent. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah. First of all, his offensive lines weren't any good. And to, to top it all off, there was no threat at all behind under center. So like you weren't, when you played the chiefs during that era, when Jamal Charles played, he was one, two and three on your list of, of the weapons that you needed to stop. You needed to stop Jamal Charles and the teams could not do it. They couldn't do it. He reminded me the way he ran. It always made me think of like those, those racing bikes, you know, where they go around the, they go around the corner and they're like inches from the ground. The way that he right. would weave in and out of traffic, it was incredible. He had absolutely unbelievable balance as he demonstrated against the Denver Broncos in that big breakout game that he had, where he just could stay upright, put his hand on the ground, keep going. I think that it, he had a shot at the all-time single-game rushing record in that game. And I remember he he went to to Todd Haley went to him and said, "You want to keep going?" Because they had the game in hand. And Jamal said, uh, "No, I'll, you know, I'll get it another time." I think he was gassed. He was tired. But I almost wish, and I think maybe Jamal does, maybe looking back, that he'd stayed in that game because it was a, those are rare opportunities. And there was, I think, half a quarter left, and he had a shot at it. He had a legitimate shot at it. Just absolutely incredible what he did on that one play on fourth down against the Raiders. I mean, just his highlight reel is is pretty much unmatched. I think he's. I I've said this before on the podcast. I think he should go into the Hall of Fame. I think the Hall of Fame voters should look at, is this one of, it's about the best to ever do it. And I think we need to look at the running back lens. It's so often running back has been judged by durable guys who played forever, you know, especially in recent years. So does it could rack up big gaudy stats? I think that the, the voters need to find a middle ground for this position because of the attrition rate, especially these days at it and look at like, was this guy one of the best I've ever seen? And do I have a large enough sample size to say absolutely instead of this, like what if game? Yeah. I think, I think, I think the I voters think. are going to have to adjust, right? Yeah. Guys aren't playing for 13 years like Walter Payton or 17 years like Emmett Smith. And then you have Frank Gore, it's not the hall of longevity. It's how yes. great you were. And I don't want to take anything away from, from Terrell Davis. And I actually read an article today about Corey Dillon and the uh, spectacular run he had with the Patriots. I forget what year it was, maybe 2004 or something like that when they won a championship. But when you play in a great system with a fantastic offensive line and you're able to rack up postseason success, I mean, that's a lot of that is team success and just team situation. We shouldn't punish someone like Jamal Charles for landing in Kansas city. Really? If you look at what came before it and what came after it at the worst possible time, he could have ever landed in Kansas city. And by the way, I can't stop thinking about excite bike bike after that. Uh, yes. comic. Did you ever play that on Nintendo excite yeah, bike? That was a really fun game. Super fun. Um, yeah, I agree with you. He was unbelievable. He was, when I think about the best running backs I've ever seen, he is one of the best running. I've watched a lot of football on a lot of teams. He stands out. Like he stands out. It's, it's not, it's not a like, yeah, he was pretty good. Like, no, he was good. He was, does he still have the average record? He did for a while of the all time 
average. He is right up there with Jim Brown and Barry Sanders. I know the end hurt him a little bit. Yeah. But he was such a home run hitter. It was unbelievable. And every time he got the ball, it just seemed like he's never getting less than five or six yards. Yeah. Yeah. He was their only offense in that game against the, the Ravens when they made the playoffs that year, they went 10 and six and won the AFC West and he broke and then they got creamed the rest of the time. Like he was, he was such a bright spot. He was so much fun to watch. And also his toughness is underrated. Some people might say, well, he was hurt a lot. Remember that who was the guy from Denver that suplexed him on the sideline, like almost broke him in half. He was not a big guy. He took some absolutely brutal hits and he always got back up and went back out there. I think that's something that is underrated about his game was how damn tough he was running the football. And this Lions matchup and every Lions matchup to me is a revenge game. Because if you remember, it was the damn Lions mascot that blew out his knee that one time. Was it was it the mascot? I thought he landed. Didn't he land on the first down marker? I mean, I'm looking at the articles right here. This is how I remember. He collided with Rory the lion's mascot okay Got and remember it. he had multiple blowouts yeah with the yeah. chiefs unfortunately yeah. he i mean because he could cut he'd stick his foot in the ground and that's the thing with these running backs like they're just they're so they're in such peak physical condition and that the body's just not made to like do some of the things that these guys are capable of doing at the speed that they're capable of doing it and sometimes it, it just gives out on them um he was incredible uh, Benjamin in the chat says cream hunt had superstar potential as a chief, uh, but he's not the same dude anymore. And he lied to big red. Yeah. I mean, I thought like Kareem hunt was very exciting for a season and a half with the chiefs. And it's a, it's a shame as football fans that we only got this taste of him with Patrick Mahomes, because at that time of Patrick Mahomes career, they were still being careful. They were running the ball a lot more than they do now. Cause he was, it was his first year starting and he was just doing stuff. That combination of what what Mahomes was able to do downfield in that season, just eating teams alive with these deep passes, and Kareem Hunt, like they would have won the Super Bowl that year. They would have. They would have won. They would have won the Super Bowl with with Kareem Hunt. I'm I'm sure of it. But going back to the earlier exercise, imagine Jamal Charles playing the <laughs> Jarek McKinnon role last year. If yeah. if Jarek McKinnon per touch was the most efficient receiving back in the NFL. What the hell would have Jamal Charles done with that line and, and playing alongside Mahomes and Kelsey? Yeah, it would, it would be, they would be impossible to stop. And if any was on, if he was on the team with Tyree kill, Tyree kill, Travis, stretching the, you know, having that field stretcher for Jamal, Jamal Charles. It's just, uh, I, I went to watch the chiefs play the Rams in St. Louis and I remember him ripping off a 90-yard run and just thinking other running backs do not do not hit the hole and explode like this guy does. He's one of a kind. Yeah, he was absolutely incredible. Our guy Ronald says, Jamal Charles would have had 18 touchdowns last year. I, probably. He probably would have. Um, all right, everybody, we've gone well over an hour, but that means we had good conversation going, which is not bad for, for – uh, July. I, I, I real quick before we go, Adam. I want to run something by you. I want to see what you think about this idea for a show. Because mm-hmm. we got a couple shows before training camp starts. What do you think about a, a pain show? Just all about Chiefs pain and bad memories. 
you know, before we start this new season, like sort of a, um, what's, what's the opposite of a palate cleanser? Like, you know, to make sure exercising we some demons, right. Yeah, it, you know, or, or it's like a, it's like a fast or like a juice cleanse or something, yes. you know, yeah. uh, where you go, where you go through, uh, some, some pain to come out better on the other side. Yeah, I think I think it's great. Let's get let's get the Lynn Elliott out of our system. Let's get the D Ford out of our system. Let's yeah. just get all that bad juju and all those memories, and look forward, and be I able to look so. forward in twenty twenty three. Let's do it. Talk a little talk a little harm Edwards. Uh, talk about Donald Stevenson. You know those um, Pioli. <laughs> just just some of those hires of Haley and Pioli and yeah, those Javi. defensive linemen we drafted. Whether it was. Glenn Dorsey and Tyson Jackson are back further. Ryan Sims. Oh God, Ryan Sims. Yeah. 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 Pretty, if we, if we just rough. get Kendrell Bell, that's going to be the answer to all of our problems. Ty Law. We just need Ty Law. I, I love John Ty Baldwin. Law. John Baldwin has to make that show, I think. <laughs> yeah, it does. He does. That could be fun. That could be a fun one, I think, is we it, it, make sure. So, you know, I'm from Northeast Ohio. And when the, when the Cleveland Cavaliers finally won a championship and they broke Cleveland's championship drought, there's a, a comedian I love up there. You should check out his work. His name is Mike Polk Jr. You might be familiar with him. He had the viral uh, hastily made Cleveland tourism video. And when the Cavs won the championship, he did a he did a music video for The Ringer called, uh, I think it's called like, Who Are We Now? And it was about Cleveland fans not knowing how to deal with actually winning a championship. And it's a you know, it's a funny parody music video. And he, he does say in the video, he has a voiceover and he says, we're not going to become like, those uh those pompous spoiled boston fans now are we because i just don't think we have that kind of darkness inside of us uh which is a really funny line and i often think about that for for our fellow chiefs fans it's like we don't want to become like patriots fans or cowboy fans are still like that and they haven't won anything in a couple decades um so i think having a show like this where we just talk about the pain we remind ourselves where we came from would be a good a good grounding exercise as we head into a chance injecting to some some humility in our uh, some kind of midwestern spirit into our veins yeah absolutely. i like it yeah we we don't want to become the boston sports fans i mean i think we've we've become extremely confident how could you not yeah and i also think we've gone from this is the weird transformation for me I used to always expect the chiefs to blow it every single time. Yeah. Now, even when they're seconds away, I, I think Mahomes is going to find a way to win. Yeah. I am shocked every single time they lose. And that has just been a wild journey to go on. Yeah. yeah talk about a transformation. Chris Wright's already getting the party started talking about Harvey Williams. Uh, <laughs> was, uh, I don't think Dwayne Bow was a miss. I'm going to say that was a hit. No, it was fine. Yeah, he was led, fine. led the league in touchdowns one season. Yeah. Yeah. Debo was okay. Knucklehead, but okay. Um, all right, everybody, we got to get out of here. I got to get some damn dinner. We'll be back next week. Regular lineup of shows. Um, hope you all had a wonderful 4th of July. And uh, thank you for coming in. I know this is a weird week because a lot of people were off midweek, taking the whole week off. So appreciate everybody's support for the show today. If you want to do us a favor, make sure you hit that like button on your way out of YouTube and head on over to the Arrowhead Addict Apple podcast page. Leave us a five-star review. Let us know your three favorite Chiefs running backs. Let us know your bold predictions for next year. 
Let us know your most hated and painful Chiefs moments. We'll use it all on the show. Just leave us that five-star review. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you to producer Sean for getting us up and running today. For Adam Best, my name is Patrick Allen. We'll see you next week. But until then, as always, go Chiefs. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.